Well, Monday or Tuesday of, of last week, I know I was going to be speaking on Sunday, so I thought, right, let's start preparing. This is going to take me about an hour, because I know exactly what I want to put on the slides for this week. God's been stirring stuff with me for a while. This morning, about 7 o'clock, God made me change a lot of stuff around again. So this is sort of a, a work in progress. And this is as far as I've got in my thought processes, and I want to share some stuff with you. For those of, uh, that are a few years old, that's just the way it is. Some things will never change. It's probably a song that you all recognise. It's definitely on Martin's, Martin's top five favourite tunes to play, and Richard November's as well. But with God, things will change. As soon as you come into contact with God, things change. Because of his character. Because you get to know about him. And he starts transforming you from the inside out. April the 26th, 1997. Do you remember that day? I certainly do remember that day. <coughs> I remember exactly what I was doing on that day. And TB&T obviously wanted to vet all of the photographs that I was going to use this morning, especially any photographs with her in it to make sure that she approved them. The one she approved was this one. Didn't we look young? Haven't changed a bit. <laughs> I met Tia at university about 24 years ago now. And when I first met her, she had a boyfriend, a long-term relationship, etc., etc. To cut a long story short, God said, that's the woman you're going to marry. I thought, really? <laughs> and it took me a while to even get her to persuade her to go out with me. And then God took us through a journey over about a three-month period where T had a million and one questions about God that I was able to answer, not by my own knowledge, but because God graced me and enabled me to do that. And so our courting, whatever you want to call it, was all about talking about God, talking about Jesus, talking about what he'd done, who he was. And our whole thing was, but I've been a good person. Surely that qualifies me. Surely that's enough. And after about three months, she sort of said, okay, let's see what happens. The weather forecast. For those that are young, this is my first recollection of weather forecast. Do you remember that? The old magnetic board with the various symbols in their hands. And I often wondered if they were ever going to drop one. So they turned out a thunderstorm and just slapped it on the metal board. And there it was, the weather forecast. What a wonderful, wonderful suit he is wearing. Nowadays, nowadays we have technology. Everything is at our fingertips. Everything's instantaneous, isn't it? And so, as it was our 20th anniversary, we thought we'd do something special. T had in mind a weekend in Clacton. I thought we could do a little bit better than that, maybe Bogner. But as I looked into it, I thought, you know what, it's 20 years. That's quite a long time. I'd warned her the day before we got married that if she was ever going to think about divorce, because her parents had been through divorce and stuff, that we would call off the wedding there and then. Because I wasn't prepared to go into marriage without it being till death does depart. And 20 years down the line, I wanted to say thank you to God, really, for her and for everything he's taken us through. And so we booked, we managed to find an amazing deal through my B&I group, my business group, 
And they managed to get us literally half the price it should have been some time in Antigua. With all the stuff and the storms that have happened, I'm really sort of, I've seen some amazing things there. And I know the, the island's been devastated and stuff. But back in April, it was beautiful. We looked at the pictures, and T has a great tendency to look at the weather forecast. She's rather good at it. So if you ever want to know what the weather's going to be doing, just give T a text and she'll text you straight back with what it's going to be today, tomorrow, next week, next year. She loves looking at the weather forecast. So for a few weeks before we were going, every day, she's having a look at Antigua. Mark, look at the temperatures. 30 degrees. It's going to be good. Anyone that knows my wife knows that she loves the sunshine. So imagine it. Four weeks to go. Wonderful. Three weeks to go. Wonderful. Two weeks to go. Wonderful. One week to go. And the phone changed. The look of devastation on her face. And she was like, I'm really looking forward to going. Pity about the weather. Pity about the weather. And it just so happened that mum and dad were down from the weekend. Mum and dad are here today. And we were sitting outside eating some food. It was barbecue sort of season here. The weather was going to be better here than it was there. And that's a real big no-no. Whenever we're on holiday, T has a tendency to look at the weather where we are and always check home. Home's worse. Woohoo! Nobody else does that, I'm sure. But the weather forecast changed. And we were sitting out around lunchtime, around the table. And so mum and dad were saying, you're excited about next week. And T's sort of, sort of gave a half-hearted, and dad goes, why? What's the, what's the matter? She goes, look at the weather. And she, throwed, she threw, pushed her phone in front of dad's face and said, look at the weather. It's been great for weeks. Why is it whenever we want to go away, it rains. A few years back, we thought we'd have a weekend break to Barcelona. In Barcelona, the weather is usually fantastic. When we get there, the heavens opened for the entire weekend. The sun did come out as we were taking off leaving again. <laughs> the people in Barcelona are saying, we've never known weather like it. So when anybody needs any rain, just send me and see there. It's guaranteed to happen. It used to be the Simmons with the camping. It's us for any other time. As soon as we land foot on a new place, the rain comes. And Dad stopped it in her tracks and says, no. I was thinking, oh, no. Here comes my dad. Dad's got a real tendency to cut through all the, the fluffiness and bring the word of the Lord to you. Yeah? That's what he does. And I was thinking, it's one of those times. Let me go and take the tray into the house and leave you lot here so you can discuss. And he goes, why should it rain? Do you not know you've got the same power inside you as Jesus had when he told the waves and the winds to stop? You've got the same power. That's the way he always says it. Well, you've got the same power. <laughs> but it was just like, you could take that with a pinch of salt and sort of say, oh, that's just my dad. Or you could think to yourself, okay, we do have that same spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The same spirit that Jesus used to heal people, raise people from the dead, do all sorts of miraculous stuff. It's all inside us. Because God's put it there as a resource. That's my dad for those that don't know. I don't know what he's doing there. I think he was in Scotland at the time doing the Highland jig. But he says, it's not going to rain. Let that be a declaration. So we took off, threw through the sky, thinking the weather forecast hasn't changed, the weather forecast hasn't changed. 
We landed, and the weather was amazing. Throughout the entire time we were there, we had a little bit of tiny drizzle at night time. That's the room from our hut, which was right on the beach. Because in God's goodness, he gave us a free upgrade as well. From one of the worst rooms, not the worst rooms, the cheaper rooms in the cheaper blocks, to a beachfront wonderful thing. And I was thinking, that is God's goodness right there. And that for me stemmed back from, because a couple of weeks before this, John was speaking about saying, what, what are you going to ask God for? And I thought to myself at that point, God, I would love an upgrade. Why not? You're God, you're all-powerful, you're all-seeing, you're all-knowing. Can we please have an upgrade? So as we walk into the hotel lobby and the guy goes, you got an upgrade? I was like, yes! And we had a fantastic time there. It was getting ready to leave, so this is the final day. We've had a week. How long was it, ten days? A week. We were sitting in the reception area waiting for the coach to come and pick us up, take us back to the airport. And this happened. And as I sat there, I said to T, remember what my dad said? Until we were leaving, it wasn't going to rain. So did my dad stop the rain for that week? Did his faith stop the rain for that week? Did I have any expectation that the rain would stop for that week? He did. And when I got back home, he goes, told you so. <laughs> told you so. I remember when I first got to, I suppose, meet Jesus, hear about Jesus, really? I've always been taken to church and stuff. I got taken along as part of my church, did sort of things like that. They took us along to see Billy Graham back in 1984. It was a while ago, in Birmingham. I remember sitting in that football stadium and Billy Graham talking. And suddenly it became a reality to me. What did I want to do with the rest of my life? Yeah, the future could have gone any place at that time. There was a journey laid out before me. Life was ahead of me. Twelve years old, next to mum. I said, mum, I'm going to the front. You what? She goes. I'm going to the front. Well, be careful. and don't, 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 well, You're going to get lost. I'm going to the front. And I went to the front, and I said to Jesus that day, all right, where are we going? What journey are you going to take me on? And that journey is still working its way through. Has it gone like I thought it was going to go? Straight and to the point? No. It's taken all sorts of bends and twists and difficulties and all sorts of stuff. When I first got to know Jesus, I was thinking, life's going to be great. Life's going to be easy. Life is going to be a breeze in the park because I know Jesus. And Jesus loves me. Then you find yourself confronted with life's problems and life's issues and harsh words from people and disappointments. And each of those things I take now and I sort of imagine building myself a brick wall. So that wonderful view that God's given me about my future and the hope that he's given me gets eradicated by me adding another brick and another brick and another brick. And at first it's something you sort of trip over occasionally on the way past and think, okay, but I can still see where I'm sort of going. Hasn't been easy, but I've still got somewhere to go. And then the brick gets higher, and the wall gets higher, and it gets higher and higher and higher, 
until that vision that God's given you gets completely and utterly obliterated by this great big wall. And suddenly you can't see it anymore. The disappointments take over the hope that you had. And suddenly you're confronted with this great big brick wall. I'm thinking, what did it look like over there? What was on the other side of that wall? Because I've forgotten. And I can't see it. And if I can't see it, I'll stop believing in it. And if I stop believing in it, all I start to believe in is those bricks. And all those bricks represent a disappointment and a hurt. If God's failed you, where he's let you down, where people have sort of turned their back on you, where a relationship's broken now. And all you can see is the brick wall. Does God ever stop talking? No. He gives us an amazing tool set that we fail to use a lot of the time. I'm going to use this as an example. Periscope. Now, I see the periscope as being Holy Spirit. So even if that brick wall is still in place, you can change your viewpoint. And you can see over it and you can remind yourself about the promises that God's spoken over you. Just go back and remind yourselves. What's God said about you? Who has he called you to be? Who has he said that you are? Remember the journey? Remember the excitement in the beginning? It can be like that every day. When we go back and we remind ourselves. God knows our beginning from our end. And he uses everything in our life's path to make sure that we end up in the destination that he's got planned for us. I went to Soul Survivor this year. I sort of led the team. Had a great team of people there. You heard some of the feedback from the youth. One of the things that I had as a faith position was that every single young person and every member of the team would have an encounter with God while we're there. All of them. I didn't want any of them to miss out on exactly what God had for them. So I took some time out and I prayed. Went through the list of people coming, prayed for all of them, said, God, I want all of them to meet with you. I want them to get to know about you. I want them to know you better than I know you, better than my dad knows you, better than anybody else knows you. I want you to meet with them. I want you to impact them. I want you to change them. I want you to transform them. That was the cry of my heart. Most people sort of say, oh, you go to these youth events and stuff and it's all hype and you come back and they hit a downward spiral straight away and it's going to be... That's a brick. That's a brick right there. I said, no. This is going to be good. And we're going to see our young people develop. We're going to see them change. We're going to see them transformed. And you know what? God did not let me down. I met with every single one of them. When I was feeding Matthew 4, I welled up. It causes me such joy that the God who created the universe knows them all by name. And he's got a purpose and a plan for them. And their journey's ahead of them. Are they going to see some bricks along the way? Probably. I think that's the nature of life. But looking beyond the bricks, using the toolkit he's given us, having spiritual sightedness, keeps us on the right path. Can I ask Wilco to come to the front? And Alan's just walked in. I want him as well. Come to the front, sir. Of course. You'll see why in a minute, Alan. <coughs> So I started to muse and I started to think about things in the natural realm and things in the spiritual realm. I just want to use it as an example, really. David and Goliath, we all know the story. Yeah? 
We have a young boy. We have a tall boy. The Israelite army knew that God was on their side. But they were afraid. They operated out of fear. No one would go to the front to battle this giant. Not one of them. They're all standing there quaking in their boots thinking, I am no way going to, to fight that bloke. Because he's slightly bigger than me. Slightly wider than me. Rather scary. What was David's declaration? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is he? Who does he think he is? He saw past the size of the guy, he saw past that, and saw victory, and slayed Goliath. Thank you, gentlemen. Give him a round of applause. That looks like a very comfortable mattress there, Wilco. <laughs> Jesus feeds the 5,000. There's a moment at Soul Survivor. We were standing there. And suddenly, you know when God just drops something into your head occasionally? And Mike, the guy that was leading the meeting, sort of said, there's 5,000 people in the room today. And this story came to mind. And I looked out in that massive big room, and I thought, this is how many people a pat lunch fed. And it just got me for a moment. And sometimes we can listen to these stories and we're so familiar with them that we almost miss out on the power. Miss out on the power. Disciples saw the problem. The disciples also had the solution. It's just it's Jesus' example to them how to do it. Jesus calmed the storm. Jesus said to them, we're going to the other side. The disciples had just witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. They'd just seen it. They'd just been part of that thinking, thinking, oh my goodness. This Jesus dude can do amazing stuff. Jesus said, I'm going to the other side. We're going. Let's go. They saw the natural. They operated out of fear. Parting of the Red Sea. My dad was chatting to me about this one yesterday. Saying God just arrested him in his thought process when he was thinking about healing for somebody. And God said, do you think that I cannot heal that person in an instant. I parted the Red Sea. I parted the Red Sea. The people saw it. And all they saw was death and disaster. All they thought was, we're going to get mown down. We're going to get hacked up. Surely it was better for us to stay where we were. Even though God has said, I'm taking you into the promised land. What bricks have you added to your wall? What are your bricks? Have a think about it. What bricks do you add to your wall daily? How high is your wall right now? If you're not sure you have any, maybe you don't. But ask God. Ask God to start to drop into your spirit right now. What is it that I've put in the way, something that I've made, that prevents me from embarking or continuing on that journey that you put me on the day that I came to know? That'd be different for everybody. Have you lost sight from where you're going? Have you asked for that Holy Spirit periscope to show you again? Wouldn't you like to just to take a sledgehammer this morning and start to knock out some of these bricks? I think God started that earlier in the meeting, during worship. I was thinking, God, you're faithful. We've got a sledgehammer. God's given us a sledgehammer. And that's the power of his word. That we can start to declare for those bricks to shift. We can start to declare for those bricks to move. We can start to tell those bricks, be gone.
And as we start to do that, as we start to go back and refocus ourselves on Jesus and upon God and his word to you as an individual, as my father says, you have the power. We have the power. It's just that we forget about it. We forget about it. What prevents you from changing your viewpoint? A lot of it might just be a changing direction. For some of you, your journey is right behind you. And all you've got to do is change your viewpoint. Turn yourselves around. To say to God, where am I going? I seem to have got lost along the way somewhere. Remove that obstacle and just give me the sightedness again. So it could be a turning around for some of you. Right, something a little bit different. What's this? Anybody know? It's a pricing gun, a labelling machine. Now, when I was very young, my parents used to own grocery stores, spa shops, so near so spa. They had two of them. And one of the fun things I used to be able to do was get the pricing gun out. You had a little twiddly knob there where you could change the pricing, and then you go... And when you got really good, you should be able to go... And then the experts, without even looking... And you used to price all the food before you put it on the shelf. And what's the label there for, really? The labels are there to inform you about something. Our words stick. Whatever comes out of our mouth to somebody else, we label them. And this is something that I've been wrestling with God in for a, a few months right now. And it's a little bit of a hard thing to come and talk about this morning. But we label people. I don't think we intend to, but we do. And once the label's been applied to somebody, it becomes fairly easy for somebody else to see that as well and think, oh, yeah, you are that. You are that. You are that. You are that. And then when you're brushing your teeth in the morning in front of the bathroom mirror, you're reading your labels back to yourself. And suddenly what somebody has said that you are you start to declare to yourself, isn't it? It's a bit raw. Those things can stick. Those things can... Words have power. Words have amazing power. You can't put them back in once they've come out, can you? It's too late for that. So rather than having a negative word about somebody, why don't you ask them what God thinks about them? As an exercise. So you can start to speak life into people. A way of labelling people with some good stuff. T challenged me a week or so ago, because I always call Elise a princess. My little princess, my little princess. She goes to me, she's not a princess. Not a princess. So yesterday, I called her a little warrior. Because that's what God put on my mind when I saw her. I thought... She is beautiful, she is, but she's a warrior. She's a warrior for the king. And I wanted to start to declare over my children who they are in God. Who they are in God. So do I think she's a princess? Absolutely. But I'm going to declare that she's a warrior princess in the kingdom of God. So I've taken that label off a of princess and replaced it with a warrior princess. Are there certain people you come into contact with? Could be your boss, could be a friend, could be somebody in the church, could be that you stuck a label on. May have been a while ago, 
I'm going to ask God to challenge you, to remind you, because I think it's time to go and pull some labels off. Pull some labels off and replace it. Don't just pull it off and leave it. And pulling off a label, pulling off a plaster can be painful. But ask God to show you how he sees them in his eyes. And let us start to declare good things over people. Because people take on board this stuff. And it can become who they think they are. And it's certainly not who God intends them to be. Pointing of the finger. And it's so easy, isn't it? So easy just to go with the crowd. So easy to jump on board and say, yeah, that's that person's like that. So I was known, I still am probably, as Mark the gadget person. As soon as the latest gadget's out, Mark's got it. He's going to have it. Guaranteed he's going to have it. There was a time when I was like that. But I've changed. And yet people will still see me and say, Mark, have you got the latest phone? Have you got this? Have you got that? Have you got the latest gadget? Well, no, I haven't, actually. Because that was some time ago. That was in a different season. God's moved me from that place. I'm now living in a different way of living. And yet that label is still stuck. to you, again. Have you stuck labels on people? Do they need to be removed? Yeah? Can you see people as God sees them? And it goes back to changing your viewpoint, changing what you're seeing. Have you labeled yourself? Imagine that price going, I am this, I am this, I am this. I'm going to come to nothing. T didn't want to have, T didn't want to get married. Why? Because her parents had got divorced and it was painful. Very painful. And she thought, what is the point of marriage? She labelled herself, never get married. Didn't want children. Don't know how that happened. Labelled herself again. I saw something past that. I was able to go to her and say, right, that's coming off. And that's coming off. Why? Because I saw something different. I saw through God's eyes. I saw all that she could be. And it's been an absolute joy to walk with her through the last 20 years. Got another 60 to go, dear. But, but that's what it's about. Yeah? Seeing past. Seeing past what's presented. Yeah? It's seeing past the Red Sea to saying, God said we're going to go. God said we're going to the promised land. Therefore, this is merely, merely a little tiny brick which just needs to be removed. Disciples said we need to feed 5,000 people. How are we going to do it? We haven't got enough money. Why don't we send them all home? It's late. Uh, 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 what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Jesus said, what have we got? Well, we got this little pat lunch. And he gave thanks. Surplus to requirement. The way that we think needs to be slightly changed, I think. So we can start to see with his eyes. John was talking last week at that moment. He's always talked about it. When he just asked God to experience what he felt for people. And it broke John internally. Changed something that day. Said he couldn't talk about it for months afterwards. It's a dangerous prayer to pray. But when we see individuals, when we come into contact, when we have a conversation, 
Let's be asking ourselves, God, what are you doing in this person? You say that they are. If there's a label that's been stuck onto you that shouldn't be there, remove it. And for some people, that's going to be really, really painful because they identify, or they think their identity is in that sticker. The identity you need is with Christ himself. Remove some stickers. My prayer this morning is that we're going to have an opportunity just to respond and remove some stickers. And let God do that work in us. Which I think, and it comes back to what we had earlier, it's that release. There's a release available this morning. God's going to do an amazing thing. Why? Because he's God and he can do what he, what he does. And that is to come in, to transform, to change. Who does God say that we are? We've only got to jump into his scripture. I'm a child of God. I'm a branch of the true vine, conduit of Christ's life. I'm a friend of Jesus, fellow heir with Christ. These are the stickers that we need to be sticking on ourselves. When we look in the mirror, that's what we start to declare. Words were powerful enough for creation to take place. Do we realise that? God spoke things into being. When we speak, when we declare stuff, we speak things into being. We speak things into being. So what's your declaration going to be tomorrow morning when you look in the mirror? Is it that I'm never going to be happy, I've got no friends, work is terrible, or is it going to be I am a co-heir with Christ, I am a new creation, I've been set apart, I can live in the freedom that Christ has given me. Start to declare that to ourselves and see what God starts to do. As I was Google searching, this came up. Stop labelling people just because they're not like you. Joyce Mayer said that. I thought it's an interesting, very simple thing. Right from a very early age, I remember my first or second day at primary school. We were the only coloured family in the town. Colour to me hadn't really registered, because my mum's white, and my dad's not so white. It didn't really enter my brain at all. And yet I went to primary school on day one. You're a gollywog. And I was thinking, gollywog? I've got a gollywog at home. It's on my bed. It's a toy. Blackie, blackie. Day two, I learnt to run because it seemed that the entire class was just wanting to chase me down. And I remember going home and saying to Mum, Mum, I don't get it. People keep running after me, and they keep calling me chocolate drop, they keep calling me gollywog, they keep calling me that. And I remember, she goes, who does God say that you are? And so my best friend at <laughs> that school, I always remember him, his name was Gerwin. Guess why they chased him? He had the brightest head of red hair you've ever seen. Poor guy was called Gerwin. I thought, that's not as bad as that, at least. <laughs> so we literally spent the first few weeks of primary school, just my break times were just running. I was like Mo Farah back then, believe you me. They weren't catching me. I was just running, 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 running. And it became a, it became a game. And we grew out of it. But it's amazing, isn't it, that the labelling can even start right then from little kids. When they start to point and they start to label and they start to say, this is who you are. Come back to our children and educate them to sort of say, who does God say that you are?
because that's what you should be interested in. We can only see the moment that we're in, but God sees the rest of our story. So this morning, I want you to change your viewpoint, shift yourself a little bit, to say, am I stuck here? Am I stuck where I am right now? Am I just seeing a brick wall? Am I reading off what people are labeling me? Is this where I want to be, God? So can we say, that's just the way it is? Is that going to be our declaration? Or are we going to say, but with God, things can change? Is it time to remove our stickers and replace them with new ones? Ones that are full of life. Ones that are full of hope. Ones that are full of promise. We've all got a destination point. We've all got a journey. We're all part way through that journey with him.